This is a podcast from thebuglepodcast.com. The Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 226 of the Bugle audio newspaper for this most unremittingly visual of worlds for the week beginning Monday, the 4th of March 2013, with me, Andy Zaltzman, International Satirist of the Year in the balding late 30s ginger haired Laps Dew Magazine Awards. <laughs> uh, I'm live in London, the city where angels can't be asked to tread. Uh, been there, seen it, got to prioritise. And in New York City, the self-styled jack of no trades, but master of fun. It's the pertinent <laughs> pancake himself, John Oliver. <laughs> Hello, Andy. Hello, Buglers. On uh, on Wednesday night, Andy, yeah. uh, this Wednesday, I did an episode of a fantastic podcast called Star Talk with Neil deGrasse Tyson, who's a uh, sensational astrophysicist and the, and the uh, director of the Hayden Planetarium here in New York. It was great fun, made even more memorable by the fact that the surprise guest was Buzz Aldrin, Andy. <laughs> That's right, the Buzz Aldrin, the first one you thought of, not the second Buzz Aldrin who definitely doesn't exist. It was a truly mind-blowing and humbling experience to spend a few hours with a man who's walked on another planet, and it was even more of an honour to be zinged by him, Andy, because <laughs> at one point I said to him, joking, Buzz, I feel like you and I have just such a lot in common with the two of us, and he paused for a moment to let that statement sink in, and then he said, yeah, you're right. I had jeans on this morning as well, but then on a, I put on a suit to come here. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> Boom! Zinged by an astronaut, Andy. That's a lunar slam. Houston, the zing has landed. <laughs> what did he say about uh, about the moon? He, well, he said he was, you know, he's pretty unimpressed with it, Andy, because right. he says, you know, he's been there and he's one of the few people who I guess is allowed to be that jaded about it. He wants to go to Mars now. He, he wants really? nothing to do with the moon. Yeah. He's a Mars man. You're right. Well, we'll have we'll have yeah. more on that later later in the show. You've queued that up beautifully, John. So this <laughs> is uh, Bugle uh, 226. It's the first Popeless Bugle. Uh, well, we're in the interim between Popes. So for the first time ever, whilst no one's looking, all of you Buglers are allowed to listen to this Bugle whilst wearing as many condoms as you want. <laughs> Uh, this is Bugle 226, which means we've now done as many Bugles as the number of rewrites Steven Spielberg did on the script of Schindler's List before Universal would let him make it. Man, he really wanted that dinosaur scene in there. <laughs> no, Steven, People we just don't think it's in keeping with the rest of the film. Oh, come on! Roar! <laughs> wants to eat a Nazi! Roar! <laughs> uh, Steven, it's just uh, Stegosaurus's... Well, for a start, they don't eat animals, they were herbivores. Roar! Nazis so bad, even Steggy eats a Nazi! <laughs> um, Stephen, uh, oh, well, look, we love the screenplay that uh, Stephen's alien has given us, and we love most of your ideas for how to put it into action. It's going to be a very touching, yet harrowing exposition of one of the most difficult historical subjects for film. Roar! <laughs> so it's just, we'd really rather you made... Are you saying you're glad Hitler was not eaten by a stegosaurus? That sounds like what you're saying. No, Stephen, it's just that we think that as a coherent whole, the film does not need dinosaurs. 
need? Did Jaws need a shark? <laughs> no, but it did help. Roar! <laughs> and ketchup! Crunchy, crunchy, squelchy! <laughs> Stephen? Oh, come on, they deserved it. Yeah, they did deserve it, Stephen. That's not really the point. Can we save the dinosaurs for the Nuremberg trial sequel? Roar! Yes, Bose. Good. Now, uh, one more thing. The scene with the leathery alien creature with a long neck and bony fingers. Oh, f*** you! I'm not taking that one out! <laughs> How do you not let him shoot it, Andy? Make the decision in the edit. Let him shoot the scene. <laughs> Uh, 4th, uh, 4th of March, this week beginning 4th of March 2013. 33 years of Bobby Mugabe in charge of Zimbabwe from the frying pan of imperialism into the fire <laughs> of dictatorship. Um, 120 years since science whiz Nikki Tesla gave the first demonstration of radio in which he hosted a phone-in previewing the forthcoming baseball season and a New York Giants fan rang in to say that the Boston Bean Eaters were shit and that the Giants were definitely going to win. And the 250th anniversary of the invention of the pickled cucumber when the Russian vegetable seller Yevgeny Gurkin, trying to promote his new season cucumbers, fell into a vat of vinegar. And when he was fished out an hour later, his relieved wife, Olga Gurkina, kissed him vigorously and said, Mmm, you taste lovely today. So that, uh, as always, a section of this bugle is going uh, straight in the bin. Tomorrow, 2nd of March, as I'm sure you know, John, uh, is the birthday of two seminal rock legends, uh, Lou Reed of mm-hmm. the Velvet Underground and Concert for Dogs fame, and the other P in his rock pod, John Bon Jovi. Born oh, yeah, of course. exactly 20 years apart, but creatively they might as well have spent those 20 years hanging out in the same rock womb before being birthed out fully formed onto a stage somewhere and cracking straight into their crowd-pleasing mega-hit, You Give Love Some Bad Heroin. Uh, <laughs> ironically, also born on the 2nd of March was the former Wimbledon finalist Kevin Curran, who statistically over the course of a 12-year career in pro tennis must have strummed out some pretend guitar chops on his tennis racket. Um, So to celebrate Lou Reed and Bon Jovi's respective 71st and 51st birthdays, or if you prefer, their joint 122nd birthday, uh, in the bin this week, four special tracks recorded exclusively for the Bugle by these two Zeuses of rock, including... Including Living on a Satellite of Love, Venus in a Bed of Roses, I'll Sleep When I'm at Some of Tomorrow's Parties, and Jesus, <laughs> Dead or Alive. <laughs> That's in the thing. Top story this week, give me a mess. Mess, give me poverty. Poverty, give me Islamic insurgency. Islamic insurgency, give me a painful history of colonialism. Painful history of colonialism. What have you got? Marley! It's it's Marley news now. <laughs> Africa. Andy, it's the wonderful land where humanity originated and where humanity has frequently attempted to destroy itself. It really is a place of limitless potential, very much like the snooker player Ronnie O'Sullivan. Incredible talent, but it's got its problems, Andy. (laughs) And Marley is experiencing what most human rights watchers would describe as an Islamic militant cluster For a while now, the international community have tried desperately hard to solve this problem by ignoring it as ferociously as they can and hoping that it goes away, crossing their fingers, Andy until they nearly break, but unfortunately, (laughs) that tactic, which has been so popular in the past, for some reason, just doesn't seem to have worked out this time again. Uh, Quite a lot has been happening there over the last month, but you wouldn't know that if you watched most of the news (laughs) on television, which has preferred to cover stories about cats getting stuck in dishwashers (laughs) and things like that. If not that, something closer to that than really you have to be comfortable with. (laughs) 
Yeah, the uh, desert-based terrorism-related crisis, that was uh, maybe not all the rage a few weeks ago, but at least some of the rage, has been uh, rumbling on like a dieting glutton stomach. Uh, and although the uh, Al-Qaeda-related terrorists boo, boo. were uh, initially repelled, according to reports, they've now established mountain strongholds in the lawless northern area of the country. Oh, change le disque, Al-Qaeda. Is that all you've got? So, pipe <laughs> down, fellas. Yeah. Uh, now, we seem to have been repelled by armed forces and not really got too much PR traction with the public for whatever reason. So, we need a plan B. Anyone? Yes. Yusuf. Uh, boss, uh, how about establishing a mountain stronghold in a lawless area? Oh, hang on, Yusuf. Let me guess. Fit it up with caves, tunnels and landmines from where to run a guerrilla war with no foreseeable end. Have you been reading my notebook, boss? Remind me never to go on a skiing holiday with you, Yusuf. Come on, fellas. I just feel creatively we've been there and done it. Any takers for running for office through democratic channels? OK, I see I'm on my, I'm on my own on this one. OK, we'll go with Yusuf's plan. Andy, just let's pause to... Just acknowledge an outstanding Malian Islamic militant impression there. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's sit there in deep cover, aren't they? <laughs> you went through the gears there. <laughs> so let's let's bring you up to speed as to what's been happening. Initially, the French military got involved, and I know that sounds like a grammatically incorrect statement. The French military historically doesn't really like to get involved in anything, Andy, unless it's a surrender competition <laughs> or a bake-off of some kind, both of which they've proven themselves to be excellent at in the past. Outstanding track record, Andy. Uh, Man, they... America has really got its claws into you, John. <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to be honest, this particular gripe was there before I moved here, Andy. It was just exacerbated. Uh, the French have been going going from town to town uh, over the last few weeks and clearing the militants out. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, French-led forces entered, t- entered Timbuktu and secured the town without a shot being fired. And that's just how the French army likes it, Andy. <laughs> I believe 85% of them are officially registered as being allergic to loud bangs. <laughs> You're right, that one may have had an American influence to it. <laughs> uh, the paratroopers, the French paratroopers, crept into Timbuktu apparently during the night, advancing from the airport, and residents instantly took to the streets to celebrate. Uh, the French troops immediately set up an emergency boulangerie and a small but excellent vineyard. And the consistent... With the French army slogan, no man left behind without an outstanding baked treat. <laughs> that, that's a compliment, Andy, so that can't be offensive. <laughs> they can bake, is what I'm saying. Tes- testify. I mean... That's just a fact. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you can't argue with that. They're outstanding that. bakers. Yeah. <laughs> if they could fight like they could bake, they'd be the dominant world superpower. Yeah, well, those, that is a tricky multitask to pull off, isn't it? <laughs> As uh, when Joan of Arc was probably the closest who came to it, and arguably <laughs> she took both sides too far. <laughs> but Mali remains uh, in dire need of humanitarian assistance, uh, uh, according to John Ging, Director of mm-hmm. Operations for the Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs. And uh, he said, uh, he also said that there's a great need for educational support. He said approximately 200,000 children in Mali are not getting any education and haven't had any for the last year. And at the moment he said this, millions of school children across the world started looking up potential employment openings for Daddy and Mummy in Mali. School's <laughs> out for summer. School's <laughs> out for endemic poverty and chronic political instability. Of, of the many things that we were too late uh, to assist with after intervening, it turns out that we were too late to stop insurgents from setting fire to a library as they left Timbuktu, which contained thousands of priceless historic manuscripts. And that is a classic 
dick move from the insurgents, Andy. They just love to ruin nice things for no purpose whatsoever than to cement their reputation of relentless prickery. <laughs> I think that's because it's consistent with their insurgent slogan, if in doubt, be a gigantic dick bag. <laughs> uh, the mayor of Timbuktu spoke of the devastating blow to world heritage after two buildings that held manuscripts which dated back to the 13th century were torched by these complete shitbags. Uh, the manuscripts that survived the fire were also then reportedly taken away by rebels. So, hold on, because that logically makes no sense whatsoever, Andy. They set fire to the manuscripts and then ran off with the manuscripts <laughs> that they managed to save from the fire they started. These people are f***ing morons! <laughs> yeah, the heart of it all, those uh, perennial dicks, the Islamic extremists. Now, I know we Brits, uh, John, we traditionally like uh, to support an underdog in any, concert, uh, in any yeah. contest, but... Um, these guys are really hard to warm to as yeah. uh, a neutral. They are, you know, at best aggressive conversationalists. And their PR skills are, well, minimal. Uh, they're an offshoot of um, Al-Qaeda, the main group involved. Al-Qaeda, uh, the most tedious minority interest pressure group of the millennium. And leading the way is the Islamist group Ansar Dean, also known as uh, variously as the Boom Boom Bastards and the Desert <laughs> And they have... Um, They've banned a number of things, John, as uh, these these fellas like to do. They've banned video games. They've banned both Marlian and Western music. They uh, banned bars, and they also banned football. Whoa! No, 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 no. No, that is that is one step too far, Ansardine. Video games. Yeah, they're a bit childish, but lots of parents have been there when they want their children to concentrate on their homework, or in this case, on spreading a gospel of hate. So you can just about understand. <laughs> Banning yeah. that. Marlian sure. and Western music, well, John, uh, I'm not up to speed on uh, Marlian music, but uh, Western music, well, let's be honest, there's been good and there's been bad. I think you might be throwing right. the baby out with the bathwater, but on balance, it's probably a zero-sum game. Now, you can live without yeah, it. Banning bars, well, it could be a much-needed boost for the traditional country pub in rural northern Mali. So, again, that's fair enough. But football, what the f***? Anyway, why don't you like football, Lansodin? You should love football. It has arcane, outdated rules, an opinionated fan base, and traditionally it <laughs> hates gays and has almost no time for women. It is a bastion of gender inequality and prejudice. That should be right up your chute. <laughs> but so, I mean, one of the key questions is why? Why are Britain and especially France helping out here when they've shown that they've been able to ignore it as well as the rest of the international community for so long. For France, Mali, of course, used to be part of the French African Empire. For Britain, many of Mali's close neighbours were part of our, how shall I put this, part of our empire, or as we prefer to call it, our exclusive club of forced <laughs> international friendships. Yeah, if it and was happening now, we'd call it Le Collection British. <laughs> <laughs> This. And so the response to the French intervention has been largely hugely positive from the people of Mali. But you could understand if it also came with a little suspicion. You could not blame them if there was a sense of, oh, hello, you again. How long are you staying for this time exactly? <laughs> Just a few weeks. That's funny because I remember that's exactly what you said last time. It's hard to know if France and Britain are doing this out of a sense of responsibility or a sense of guilt, or some combination of the two. Because as a British person, Andy, you certainly do look at a map of Africa, you look at so many regions of the world, and you think, whoopsie, 
Maybe we should have given all of that a bit more thought. It's just we were so busy at the time wondering exactly where would be the best place on our bedroom wall for that elephant head. <laughs> so I guess in that context, John, with the threat of an Islamist takeover rearing its plug-ugly head, intervening was ethically the very least we could do. And yeah. politically, the very most we could do. <laughs> now, the latest is that after... This intervention, France is making it clear that it would like to start pulling out its 4,000 troops by March. Oh, that's this March, Andy, <laughs> the one that is happening as of today. <laughs> that March, the March that we're in now. It wants planning for a transition to begin now so that a handover can be fully completed by April. That's this April, Andy, the one that starts in just over four weeks. And the French foreign minister said, from the moment the security is assured, we can envisage, without changing the structures, that it can be placed under the framework of UN peacekeeping operations. Wow. Again, Andy, it is amazing how quickly an intervention can be completed when there are not massive amounts of natural resources involved. <laughs> OK, good luck with everything. See you later. Fingers crossed, guys, we will be rooting for you from over there. Uh, yes, we're, we're quite all right for sand, thank you. Yeah, because things are, <laughs> things are by no means... OK, over there, as you mentioned, Andy. And we may be rolling out the Mission Accomplished banner with a W. Bushian level of prematurity. <laughs> the Nobel Prize-winning writer, uh, Wole Soyinka, uh, said uh, a rather beautiful sentence about this uh, rather disturbing situation, talking about the kind of the pointlessness of these, this kind of Al-Qaeda offshoot. He says, The world is facing viral mutations of the human psyche. Now... It's assumed he was referring to the terrorist threat in Mali. It is feasibly just read a step-by-step explanation of the global banking crisis. It's even possible that he had just watched The Love Guru. But any, any oh. other, it's still a nice phrase, a lovely phrase. Andy, how can you see the crisis in Mali, the world's banking collapse, and then use those things to throw a punch about The Love Guru? Well, you do just, not understand what you're messing with, They're all part of the same continuum, John. They're all... You know, unavoid. <laughs> they're all basically avoidable atrocities. <laughs> Pope news now, and holy shit, we're popeless! <laughs> Look, we got no Pope, Andy. We are in yeah. a no Pope situation right now. <laughs> we just lost a hundred percent of our popes, and we have a Pope-shaped hole to fill. <laughs> if they. If they tried to wake up the Pope this morning in the Vatican, Andy, they'd have pulled back the covers to see two pillows wearing a Pope hat with an iPod playing some faint snoring sounds because the Pope has, to put it not mildly, <laughs> the f*** off, Andy. <laughs> or he's resigned, to put it in a significantly mild that way. That is a sentence that hasn't been said for almost 600 years. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's gone, the 86-year-old father of 1.2 yep. billion has quat. He's hung up his ferula. <laughs> And left those 1.2 billion children as orphans um, mm-hmm. for a little bit, anyway, until the all-new Pope is unveiled. Papa 266! <laughs> uh, uh, pope Benedict now becomes Emeritus Pope, coincidentally the name of the third baseman in the World Series-winning Miami Rat Poisoners team of 1884. <laughs> and uh, when he left this week, uh, Pope Benedict XVI flew off by helicopter. He flew off in a chopper, John, and that is a yeah. Vatican tradition that dates back to when they picked Michelangelo over Lenny da Vinci to paint the Sistine Chapel. And as a consolation prize, they used one of little Leonardo's designs for a new papal vehicle. Uh, he basically submitted a design to paint the Sistine Chapel with helicopters, fire engines, motorbikes and speedboats. Just, he was just a classic little boy, really. Yeah, uh, that, that, was, that was the thing. As you saw those scenes of the Pope getting into the helicopter 
and leaving. I think most people's response was, well, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Is there a Pope copter in there? <laughs> Where the f*** did that come from? How long has the Pope had a holy copter? And what else are you hiding in there? Is there a Pope marine, a Pope submarine that can take him underwater? Is there an official papal jet ski that we should know about? Sure, Jesus may have walked on water, but the Pope can jet ski his way down the Tiber any time he pleases. <laughs> we can't only be finding out about this equipment now, Andy. Does the Vatican have a James Bond-style underground bunker with an assortment of tricked-out Pope vehicles? Because if it does... I'm relatively sure that it's probably one of the least weird things that secretly goes on in there. <laughs> when he left, the Pope had to hand in his papal ring, his personal yep. seal, and his red shoes. It was basically like a corrupt cop in an American movie <laughs> handing in his badge. <laughs> we just know he's going to be back, John. He's going to be back to save the day. Uh, uh, John, do you know the reason the Pope has a seal? No. Well, it goes back to the uh, the fish symbol. Uh, yeah. of Christians, which of course goes back to ancient times and the Greek word for fish being ichthus, the letters of which in Greek spelt out Jesus Christ, Son of God and Saviour. And fish itself, of course, uh, being an acronym for f***ing incredible stories and hocus pocus. Uh, <laughs> so in the early days of Christianity, when they had to keep their faith a bit secret from the Romans, they used to throw fish at the Pope. Now, as Christianity grew in numbers, the Pope found he couldn't eat all the fish, so he got himself a seal. And to this day, the seal sits next to him in the Vatican... <laughs> And eats his fish. True or false, Buglers? You decide. Again, even if that is true, Andy, that is still not the weirdest (laughs) thing that I'm sure goes on in there. Like you say, apparently the the fisherman's ring, his official ring, will apparently be smashed with a specially designed silver hammer. (laughs) The... uh, the silver hammer will then be smashed by a specially designed ruby chainsaw, which will then be run over by a specially designed golden bulldozer, which will be then driven straight into the Sea of Galilee, where it will be eaten by a specially designed robotic whale. Listen, Andy, if it's the first time this has happened in 600 years, if you get a chance to make up traditions for the first time, you want to make them good ones. Force people to do crazy stuff in the future. This is a huge opportunity. It's what religion's all about, John. Yeah. Uh, The Pope, uh, in his uh, valedictory speech, uh, admitted that his time in charge uh, had involved, quotes, choppy waters. Mm. Now that, John, is a classic British understatement, proving once again that God is a Brit if his earthly PA can come up with stuff like that. And it goes into the, uh, the annals of classic valedictory understatements, including Richard Nixon, when he left office saying, yeah, I've not got everything right, but there you go, live and learn. And if I can just slightly tweak something I said before, I'm not that much of a crook. Uh, Edward VIII, on abdicating the throne in 1936, said, uh, I guess I'm going to have to get myself a new hat. Well, she better be worth it. Uh, Neville Chamberlain, uh, when he left office in 1940, said, well, Mr Hitler has proved something of a troublesome diplomatic partner. Whilst uh, Eva Brown, uh, on her parting from life, said... Well, Adolf, darling, to be honest, it has not been the classic fairy tale marriage I'd always dreamed of. Whilst <laughs> Abraham Lincoln's farewell speech involved the words, Boring! This play <laughs> needs some action! <laughs> You're right, Andy. Choppy Waters was a restrained choice of words, to uh, put it pleasantly. I think those waters were a little more than choppy. That was some perfect storm-level waves with huge f- <laughs> icebergs bouncing around on them. I think if you ask people in Ireland about the institutional child abuse scandal, they'd probably describe it more as a ferocious whirlpool in the ocean that sucked down an entire nation's faith in the church. But, you know, to each their own water-based metaphor. Uh, Popers, uh, the, uh, 
oh, ex-pope, ex-pope, ex-pope Benny <laughs> said his troubled papacy uh, had included moments of joy, but also difficulty when, and I quote, it seemed like the Lord was sleeping. And if that was the case, Andy, and the Pope has a direct line to God, why didn't he try and wake him the f*** up, <laughs> Andy? Uh, sorry to interrupt you, Lord. I know how you like your rest, but I'm a little concerned that your church is falling apart at the seams. Was that... Sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll let you snooze. I'll pray you back in five minutes. No problem. <laughs> but but before you nod off again, can you just clarify what you think about condoms? Because there's a lot of people dying out down here because of it. Sure, sure, no problem. No problem. Five minutes it is. Snooze time. Sweet dreams. Yes, I, I'll be quiet. <laughs> to be honest, I think he's been snoozing for quite a long time. About 2,000 years, in fact, because, you know, it's been 2,000 years since he really said anything of no yada, yada, yada in those days. Now, almost nothing. And when he does say anything, you know, bafflingly out of character, telling Bush to invade Iraq, my theory, John, is that God has had a stroke, uh, possibly brought about <laughs> by the stress of his son dying so young and his own residual yeah. feelings of guilt about his role in the matter. <laughs> But you're right, his personal seal will be destroyed, his ring is going to be destroyed. Apparently all of this is nothing new. As the Vatican pointed out, that objects strictly tied to the ministry of St Peter must be destroyed. And I'd be a little more interested in the documents undoubtedly currently getting put into the solid gold Vatican shredder, to be honest. But I'm sure it's now an important tradition to be kept up as well, along with the ceremonial wiping of the Vatican hard drives. Uh, the final shift is going to be that the Pope will apparently give up wearing his red shoes, the shoes of the fishermen that have been a key part of his Pope style, <laughs> and he'll be wearing brown shoes instead. Listen, Andy, I think we all know the only way to go out was to throw his red shoes into the crowd before strapping on his papal rocket boots, which <laughs> there is no way they don't have in there, Andy. <laughs> They've definitely got white rocket boots with gold what? wings up the side and crosses on the heel, and then fly <laughs> off into the sunset, flipping the crowd the bird. That would have given the world a much better sense of closure on this. That is, they definitely got rocket boots, John. That is why the Sistine Chapel was painted so intricately, because from the floor, <laughs> you can't see it. Clearly, it was painted for someone who has rocket boots to have a good close look. <laughs> So the successor is going to be chosen in a conclave. Now, yeah. uh, since the resignation, as tends to happen with anything that celebs like the Pope do these days, conclaves have become really trendy. People have been booking your holiday conclaves and even stag and hen conclaves just to get that little bit of showbiz stardust in their lives. But what exactly happens at a conclave? Well, you don't need me to tell you that a conclave involves a meeting of the College of Cardinals. Man, yeah. is it hard to get a place to study at that place, particularly if you're doing biomedical sciences or sports management. Uh, now, at the uh, Conclave, all of Catholicism PLC's biggest and holiest cheeses, a veritable collection of Grand Emmentals, hook up, hang out, catch up on all the goss, and play a cheeky little game of pick the Pope. Generally, they'll arrive at 4.30pm uh, for cake and canapes, bit of karaoke around 5.30, or singing hymns, as uh, church people like to call it. Checking with the boss, or pray, then dinner, bit of flesh, bit of blood, then a proper chinwag about all the potential popes on the shortlist. They'll natter about their respective CVs, maybe chuck in a quick drinking game or communion. Then they'll rate all the possible pontiffs out of ten, and knock off the best and worst marks, make sure no one has a wireless link up to a Malaysian betting syndicate under their mitre, and bingo, we have a winner. And then, party, party, party. <laughs> Sorry, I mistyped that. Pray, pray, pray. Uh, and uh, one of the biggest jobs facing the new Pope, John, he's going to have to choose a name, which you know most of us yep. don't uh, don't generally have to do. Cardinal Ratzinger chose Benedict the Sixteenth Benedict, although one of them was disqualified. Benedict the Tenth, viewed as an anti-Pope, 
leading Benedicts uh, in third place, bronze medal with 15 popes behind John. 21 Pope Johns. Yes. Yes. The last one being any guesses? Any guess? The last of the 21 Pope Johns. Can you guess? Uh, John Paul. No, he was John. He was the second of the John Pauls, John. I'm just looking for pure Johns. No, we no, we're taking the Johns. We're well, taking the jo- the JPs as well, well. The Johns. The last and twenty first Pope John was John the twenty third, uh, because there were two Johns that uh, John the sixteenth, another anti Pope, and John the twentieth, who didn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah, they just skip one. Okay. Okay. Uh, Sixteen Gregories, uh, other popular names the new Pope might consider. Clement, Innocent, bit of a risk in the current ecclesiastical climate. Uh, Pius, why not? Boniface, Paul, Kevin and Nigel. Or he could go off-piste with some of the less common Pope nomers like Sylvester, Adiodatus, Simplicius, Conon, or, and I really think this must come into consideration, Hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Pope Hilarious was St Peter's CEO from 461 AD to 468, and he got his name due to his innumerable pranks, including his top three papal pranks. Prank rank three, the electrified collection plate, in which Pope Valerius gave his congregation members an electric shock if they put coins in, and he'd be standing there next to them saying, notes please, that glass isn't going to f***ing stain itself. (laughs) Prank rank two, the jacuzzi font in which, during a baptism, he would switch the jacuzzi on just as he dipped the baby in before saying, Oops, looks like we've got us another devil child. Bubbly, bubbly, bubbly. And his all-time favourite, top-ranked prank, hiding a parrot inside the other bishop's mitres, so that when they were doing confession, the parrot would mimic everything the confessor was saying, much to their annoyance. I think I fancy my wife's sister. I think I fancy my wife's sister. Bishop, I do not think you're taking this seriously. I stole a pig. I stole a pig. Your Excellency, you are not making this any easier. Who's a pretty boy then? Sorry, Bishop, was that you who said that or the parrot? (laughs) (laughs) Now, of course, the new Pope could be set to come from outside Europe, as we discussed the other week. Cardinal Odilo Scherer from Brazil, 25 to 1 to pull on the papal briefs. So we could even have a Popal Dino the first, John. Yes, that's what I want. Other uh, betting, 5 to 2 favourite, Garner's Peter Turkson. Uh, Actually, as his name suggests, the son of Peter Talk, the keyboardist from the 1960s band The Monkees. I thought they they looked alike. Yeah, because, in fact, Peter Talk does genuinely have some Scandinavian ancestry, so that's Mm -hmm. why his son is Peter Talkson. Cardinal uh, Angelo Scola of Italy coming up hard on the rails. 3-1 to for the Juventus holding midfielder. The top American candidates, Timothy Dolan and uh, Sean O'Malley. Both 33 to 1. Dolan, uh, I believe, related to Mickey Dolan's uh, of monkeys as well. 33 to 1. Looking a long shot that the crowd in St. Peter's are going to be chanting USA, USA anytime soon. The top British runner, Cormac Murphy O'Connor, way out at 150 to 1. He is going to wow. need a 1967 Grand National style pile up to sneak home there. Others listed in the betting, as I checked this morning Bono, the Archbishop of Stadium Rock, at 1,000 to 1. <laughs> And only a thousand. <laughs> yeah, and congratulations to the betting website I looked at. Uh, Richard Dawkins, the prominent <laughs> and vocal atheist, yeah. and his quoted odds to be Pope were charmingly set at six 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 to one. <laughs> <laughs> but that makes him, in current betting, three times more likely to be Pope than either Madonna or Silvio Berlusconi. <laughs> right man, right place, wrong sanctuary. <laughs> We all take on jobs, don't we, that we've not necessarily wanted to do, but money yeah. has talked. Oh, That'd be an interesting one for Dawkins. Yeah, yeah. I think that's right. I think the he could do it. Sellout. Yeah. What's yeah. <laughs> well, so the problem with it? You know, when you're a man like that, you're generally preaching to the converted, aren't you? Preaching to people who already agree with you. So I mean, that could. And in terms of job swaps, that could be absolutely sensational. It's a great yeah. Channel Four documentary. Yeah. 
Bugle feature section now and Bonkers Billionaires. And, well, it's been a terrific week for Crackbox Billionaires, uh, or millionaires even, um, making um, massive claims for things they're about to do. Uh, Dennis Tito, the former space tourist, has announced plans to send a couple to Mars and back in a privately funded mission within five years. This is sensational it's a, news. It's a bold move, Andy. Because the technology for it does not really exist. But you know what? It didn't when they went to the moon, Andy. And confidence is 98% of science. <laughs> That's right. Or it certainly is for a confident scientist. If you show space the slightest hint of yes. doubt, it is going to be all over you like a rash. Yeah. That's right. Uh, the, taking advantage of Mars being at its closest point to Earth in uh, the two planets, uh, two celebrity planets' respective uh, orbits... Um, and that's good, isn't it? Because when you're spending two billion quid on a trip to Mars, you're going to want to save a bit on fuel. Uh, but there is a risk, though, John, that uh, because the two planets are at their closest point, the Martians will probably be thinking exactly the same thing, <laughs> and uh, there could be easily a mid-space collision. Uh, now, manned space travel, as I'm sure you discussed with uh, your buddy Buzz uh, yeah. this week, is one of the very few branches of science and technology that has not advanced in the last 40 years. In fact, it's de-advanced, six moon landings, in four years, kicking off with uh, Buzz and uh, Neil Armstrong, uh, and zero since then. Now, if telecommunications had made the same progress moon travel has made since 1972, we would all still be carrying yoghurt pots joined together with string around. The only <laughs> things that have stagnated or regressed at an equivalent rate are party politics, democratic discourse, table manners, and how hot film stars are. So... Um, Tito is planning to take a pair of old biddies to uh, Mars, yep. or at least a, a mature couple. Um, and uh, the mission's going to last uh, 501 days, going to require 1,400 kilograms of dehydrated food, yeah, uh, um, and 28 kilograms of toilet paper. Now, if oh, I'm boy. on that couple, I'm going to want to negotiate that up a bit, just to be <laughs> on the safe side, because some of that dehydrated food, it can go... Well, I mean, we've all had dried apricots. <laughs> go straight through you like Stalin through a poetry club. <laughs> Well, that is that. That could be that could be the best description, the best analogy for the digestive system that I've ever heard, Andy. Oh, I started through a poetry club, and I do not say that lightly. Keep me away from jalapeno peppers. They are a digestive hand grenade. Uh, they will apparently they will come as close as 100 miles from the surface of Mars, but will not actually land on the red planet. And uh, the aim is basically to slingshot their way all the way around, like they did with Apollo 8, uh, which could take people to Mars for a, cr- a fraction of what the cost of what it would cost NASA to do it, especially because NASA primarily would have more, more interest in doing it safely. <laughs> <laughs> Dennis Cito is not encumbered by respect for human life. But I'm not even saying that entirely as a bad thing. I still think it's an amazing idea. One of the people involved in this Mars 500 project, Jane Pointer, admitted that it would be challenging for the couple uh, and the selection process would attempt to find, quotes, resilient people that would be able to maintain a happy, upbeat attitude in the face of adversity, which um, I'm just going to put a bit of strain on a relationship. You know, 500 days in a, in a rocket. Uh, yeah. She said, we want the crew of the vehicle to represent humanity. We want the youth of the world to be reflected in this crew and for girls, as well as boys, to have role models. Well, that's 
That's a dangerous road to go down, John. Sure, you want to represent both of the world's leading genders, but what about religions? You know, how are the Christians or the Jews, the Muslims or the Hindus or the paganists going to relate to this venture if there isn't one of their team on board? And if there's two people from opposing teams, well, it could get a little bit spicy. And what about football fans, John? What if they pick a couple of Man United fans? You're instantly alienating all the Liverpool fans from this. Those phone-ins <laughs> are going to light up. And uh, so they're looking for a tried-and-tested couple, John. Now, we've been doing this... Uh, this podcast for five and a half years, we've been working together for uh, several years before that, since the early Johnny Dynamite days. I'd, yeah. I'd say, you know, we, we probably qualify as a tried and tested couple. Let's, uh, I, I'm in. Let's I'm give in, it a Andy. shot. You know, and if they're, looking for, if, if they're looking for two people who can take being alone for 500 days in space, well, we've had some gigs that felt like that. So. You, could, you could do a lot worse. A lot worse, Andy. We might need some more toilet paper with the amount of bullshit that's going to be flying around. But still, <laughs> still... I think we'd be spending that entire journey trying to come up with the stupidest possible thing to say when we landed. <laughs> I've got something that might put you off the trip, John. Yep. What? That that I, d- you I can't don't... take your dog. No, no, you're not allowed to take the your dog. Soviets that tried that, and the dog got overexcited and pressed the blast off button before his owner got in. <laughs> I just wonder how you'd feel when you know you you sort of two days past the moon, yep. and Andy gets that twinkle in his eye. That <laughs> oh no! Just one thing. Oh no! The the first to pun your way all around Mars. <laughs> that is a shame that Neil Armstrong didn't crack a pun when he tripped on the moon. Yeah. So why why is it that Tito's looking for an elder couple, uh, an older couple? I guess a number of possible reasons. You need to be secure in your relationship. If you're going to spend 500 days together, if you flirt unsuccessfully on day one, the next 500 are going to get progressively more and more awkward. You can't have any body image issues with each other. You don't want anyone saying, does this helmet make my head look big? Uh, and also, um, most importantly, it's because Dennis Tito wants to be able to broadcast this mission. He does not want a pair of newlyweds banging all over his spaceship. <laughs> <laughs> Your emails now, and uh, we have an email here from James who says, Dear Andy, Chris and John, in order of appreciation of the noble art of pun running, <laughs> I'm proudly bringing up the rear of that list, Andy. <laughs> on uh, Sunday, the 14th of April, 2013, I'll be running my first ever marathon. whoop de fucking do you might say, and you'd be right. Hundreds of thousands of people run marathons every year, and lots of them are older and fatter than me. <laughs> However, for me, the stakes will be higher. On top of the torture of running 26.2 miles, I'll be listening to the bugle the entire <laughs> way. <laughs> oh, my God. That seems like a good idea until mile three. Uh, <laughs> you hit the wall. At my, yeah, uh, at my pace, that will be a full seven or eight bugles in a row. Ooh. None. Stop. <laughs> Bullshit. Uh, scientific opinion is very much split on whether the human body can even withstand that sort of physical and mental assault. <laughs> I'm therefore proposing to put my mind, body and soul on the line for the only charitable course I believe in. Save the bugle. <laughs> yes, Andy. If any buglers out there feel they would like to volunteer sponsor me, I would ask that they please direct their large, ca- large cash or stock port- portfolio donations to the bugle's coffers. <laughs> Just knowing the vast sums of money we'll be pouring into the bugle's accounts will be enough to spur me on. <laughs> I'll be saving up fresh bugles between now and the marathon without listening to them. Oh, great. So that I get only the freshest bullshit in my ears for maximum effect. If, therefore, at some point at the end of March, you could please sling some suitably barbed insults at me as I hit the hard miles of the second half of the marathon, I'm sure they'll spur me on to the finish. Your humble listener, James Gilbert. That is... Run, James! 
Run, man, run! Sp- sprint hard for the first five and then coast. That is the that's, key with a marathon. That's terrible advice, James. Do not, do, do not, I hope you're already not sprinting. That is the worst thing you can do. He's the not going to make do it. Is eat as big a meal as possible just before you start. <laughs> right, 20 miles to 25 and a half miles yeah. is the maddest I've ever been in all my life. <laughs> it, it is like it, torture. If he is bugling at that time, uh, yeah. good luck to him. We cannot be held responsible yeah. for what happens. No. Yeah. But uh, if you do want to sponsor uh, James in his heroic effort to simultaneously run a marathon and listen to the bugle... <laughs> Yeah. Then, thebuglepodcast.com. It's all there for you, buglers. Keep those voluntary subscriptions coming in. And do keep your emails coming into info at thebuglepodcast.com. And check out our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash the hyphen bugle. Sport now, and US relations with North Korea have been a little tricky lately, Andy. But thankfully, there's been a bizarre breakthrough of some sporting diplomacy, as this week... North Korea welcomed Dennis Rodman and the Harlem Globetrotters to <laughs> Pyongyang. Let's just uh, let's just pause for a moment. Let that sentence sink into our ears. They they were apparently there with Vice uh, magazine, who were shooting a documentary for HBO. Apparently, this was able to take place because Kim Jong Un is a huge basketball fan. Uh, the details of the trip have been understandably sketchy so far, but I can only hope that if the supreme leader suddenly fancied a pickup game with the Harlem, Harlem Globetrotters. They had the good sense to find a way to lose that game, Andy. <laughs> I know it won't have been easy, but I hope they were able to get that chubby baby to dunk on them, even if they had to hold him up to the basket themselves. And a quick word of advice to uh, Mr. Dennis Rodman, Andy. Please, Dennis, for the love of God, I hope you took it down a notch while you were over there. <laughs> Remember, these people live in the most austere isolated, homogenous place on the planet. And frankly, the sight of a six and a half foot blonde African-American guy with multiple piercings and eyeliner <laughs> may be sensory overload for them. Well, I mean, you'd expect him to be good because, of course, uh, as we know, uh, Kim Jong-un's dad, Kim Jong-il, is absolutely terrific sportsman, you know, world oh, record-breaking the golfer. The best. Um, and I believe, in fact, in basketball, he once scored uh, 270 points in a game. And also uh, got 120 rebounds. So um, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's in his blood. Performer. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it for this week's uh, bugle. Thanks very much uh, for listening. Uh, there's nothing else to say, really. That's, uh, that's <laughs> wow, um, that really I'm petered dead. out, Andy. Yeah, absolutely, dumb. that is not how you sprint finish. Bullshit. <laughs> a bullshit peak early on in this episode. Oh, wow. You know. <laughs> That is a low energy flame out. Yeah, uh, do subscribe if you can be asked. Okay. And uh, yeah. oh, I'm checking out some samples for the merch next week. Oh, good. So this is now That's good. this the ruthless commercial machine that is the bugle. Yeah. Or five and a half years after its founding, a year and a quarter <laughs> after it went independent, the merch is imminent. So, uh, I mean, these are historic days we're living in. New pope, new merch. What more do you f***ers want? (laughs) All right, Andy. (laughs) Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth, Travel Hacker, out now? 
It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss Lime Bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you 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 must be so excited. Listen now. <laughs> 